0: Hello and welcome back to The Planet Optimus, your source for business celebration from the world of sustainability. I'm your host Daniel Loki, and I'm joined as always by David Woodford. David, it's been a long time since we uh, last recorded as we've both been tremendously busy but how are you doing?
1: Yeah, extremely well. Uh, I think you're right. We have been totally bogged down with living our own lives. Actually, not necessarily away from the world of sustainability for me but unfortunately our weekly bite-sized podcasts have turned into bi-weekly so we do apologize for being slightly missing in action i think the model going forward is that we will try and do these bi-weekly unfortunately our schedules don't really permit taking several hours out of a week to plan and record so we do apologize we will still be with you regularly but not quite as regularly as we necessarily would like to have
0: been yeah and i think it's i mean it's been a particularly busy time for both of us I mean you've you've mm. just um started your new job and I've been going through earning season which um has its own sort of busyness implications uh with it but uh how how is how is the job going because we haven't yeah well I, I saw you last weekend for the for a Halloween party um but I don't actually think we that we've discussed it too much
1: no not properly no uh, extremely positively yeah so so as I said I joined a company called hypervolt they are they were a startup they're now in scale up territory I think it's about 60 people on the staff and uh, they make a, a fundamentally really really strong product have a very very strong band and good reputation so uh, it's it's going extremely well and it's in the sustainability space charging is a real quandary we've touched on it when we did our podcast on EV, but actually mm-hmm. we're at the stage now where there's an awful lot of choice within the EV market both on cars and commercial vehicles charging's the issue now it's not range it's not range anxiety that's causing a great barrier to entry it's it's charging and uh and Ernst young ey who coincidentally mm-hmm. are in the same building as me did do <laughs> a study earlier this year and um, actually twice as many people now are what use charging is the excuse not to get an ev rather than range so um very happy to be trying to do my bit
0: so b- before it was an issue of the car not going far enough but now it's not being able to, yeah. to charge it right
1: yeah the the big uh, i this is why i don't want to get an electric car excuse was oh uh, the range isn't good enough and what you saw over the last decade is people um upping the ante and and moving the goalposts so uh, the sort of generally accepted view maybe 10 years ago is that if a car could do 150 miles then actually that would be sufficient enough to to make the change and once the that product came out people were saying 200 250 300 400 500 one of the biggest excuses uh, and kind of stories people would tell themselves um and this is quite specific to the uk is that they wouldn't get a car uh, an EV mm. car until they could drive to cornwall for, for <laughs> internationalists it's um a kind of remote bit on the southwest of, of england where it's actually very beautiful and people go there on holiday um but it's a it's it's probably fine, our it's,
0: family's hmm? domestic holidaying spot
1: it absolutely is I mean I'm a huge fan of uh, of Cornwall and Devon it's like a six mm. hour drive from London and so a lot of people say, well until you know until I can drive to Cornwall and back in it I you know I would get an EV well actually before COVID COVID actually changed things so few people actually did that so there were people were putting up these barriers actually range now isn't an issue mm-hmm. it's the availability uh, of charges which is why home charging which is the part of the market that I'm in yes. is so crucial I saw a headline the other day that said one-third of British households don't have a driveway and where they could install a uh a charger I looked at hmm. it and thought okay well two-thirds do <laughs> I, I I thought and there's great. your market David yeah exactly I thought great loads of people can have a charger brilliant but listen people people interpret things in different but ways. no
0: it's a return back to um the you know my, my my original question I'm uh I'm glad to hear that the the job is going very well and living it big on the wharf just as i was um a, well actually just about a year ago and um, before i moved to my current position um mm-hmm. but another company that operates within canary wharf um and i'm sure we will be name dropping them throughout this episode is bp um and we're going to be talking about windfall taxes david uh, specifically the most recent flavor the energy profits levy
1: indeed it's definitely been something big in the news of late it's almost difficult to keep track of exactly what's going on in the world currently but this is definitely a topic many of us will be aware of particularly in the UK um it's something that affects us all and, and is, is central to the current discussion um particularly given the worries around both energy security and also energy prices
0: yeah for sure you know energy prices are. A, concern for businesses and households. Um, The government is attempting to remedy this through the energy profits levy, uh, which we'll just refer to as the windfall tax going forward just to make things a little bit easier.
1: Well, what exactly is a windfall tax and what exactly is the energy levy?
0: So a windfall tax isn't really a term that has a strict definition, but I think that everyone will agree that it's pretty much a tax on supernormal or surprise profits and super- uh, supernormal profits uh what you often hear about in monopoly market structures uh, particularly when it comes to natural monopolies and there's been a real drive at regulating these natural monopolies um over the past or certainly towards the end of the 20th uh, sorry the 20th century not the 21st gosh um but regulating them is is a very difficult thing to do. Uh, the latest thing that is in vogue is to tax energy companies on these supernormal profits, uh, given the geopolitical tensions that have resulted in increased energy prices um, and increased oil prices um, on the global market. You know, they've. I think when the Russian invasion began, um, I think it was reaching sort of $120 per barrel, Um Sort of when it first started, um, though at time of recording, it's slightly below that. Depending on what blend you're looking at, so uh, WTI is around eighty-five dollars per barrel, and Brent is about ninety. Um, but the energy levy uh, specifically is a form of windfall tax, and it's a twenty-five percent tax on energy company profits, and it applies to profits made from extracting UK oil and gas, uh, but not from other activities such as refining oil and selling petrol and diesel on forecourts. Neither does it include oil. Bought from overseas vendors and these are fairly important things to consider going forward in the discussion interesting
1: so what individuals and groups are calling for this
0: well who do you think
1: <laughs> it's probably no surprises for guessing i suppose but this isn't a new phenomenon is it when was the last time we had windfall taxes
0: it was actually in 2011 so it was a. Uh, it was the coalition government. It was the coalition government. Yep. Both the Cameron and the um, Osborne years really sort of what got me into politics. And especially uh, for some reason, I was just very interested in what George Osborne was doing at the time. I don't know if that's just because I was, what was I, 12, 13 at the time, I think, but um, and sort of just getting into the world of, of business and, and finance so he was sort of the the first big figure that I remember but yeah I was, I was certainly interested um in what they were doing and that's really got, what got me into you know business politics economics finance whatever you want to mm. all those umbrella terms yeah um, I mean
1: regardless of your political persuasion and we always we always um aim and try to uphold political neutrality on the podcast yes. we're, we're, we're governed by the market not by um, ideology here um but actually he was a very competent Chancellor the Exchequer, and I think when he uh got ousted from chancellorship <laughs> by was it Hunt no it was Philip Hammond no. sorry Philip Hammond was um succeeded him in 2016.
0: Uh, didn't he? yes he did in yeah so, and but, yes and he was very bitter about May um in his words betraying him not mine
1: yeah but he was made a companion of honor which I thought was a very fitting. Yes. Fitting honor for him to. He receive. did
0: post a few choice tweets. I don't know if you remember them. No, there was no. there was one at one point saying that he wanted to cut up Theresa May and put her in his freezer.
1: Really?
0: Yeah. I hope I'm not making that not up. Remember. Well,
1: I hope I am, but um, <laughs> I really don't remember that. I mean, he. I, I know he went to work for BlackRock and then became editor of the evening standard i really yes. don't remember him saying that but i don't want to
0: yeah well no neither do i please
1: look um, that up because um, if, no, no, if it yeah. is true that's bizarre and if it's not true i don't know where you've
0: got that from <laughs> yeah a very weird yeah um so i'm reading an article and it definitely it, it definitely has those words but i'm not i'm not sure where he said it and that might not have been a in a tweet, but George Osborne has insisted his comments about wanting the Prime Minister, quote unquote, chopped up in bags in his freezer were said in jest. Um
1: I did I did think it would be strange for the Former Chancellor of the Exchequer and the national newspaper editor to tweet that yes.
0: Um <laughs> The thing is, I don't know where it's come from, but but he he de- he definitely said it. Um, he definitely most oh, Os- well. No, Osborne said it was has told more than one person that he will not rest until she is quote unquote chopped up in bags in my freezer. So I, I think it was a conversation that he had with right. someone or a few people, and it got leaked, and he admitted that he said it. But mm. yeah, so that's George Osborne. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> that
1: really but, doesn't paint paint the chance of the Exchequer for six years is a very good lie actually his fiscal policy was very clean and tight and very successful
0: yes but um returning to another um conservative politician baroness thatcher and she also introduced a wonderful texture in the 1979 oil surprise the sort of thing that we're we'll be looking to Discuss or find out within this episode is, you know, whether the windfall tax is more of a windfall or a or a win fail tax, uh, to give you <laughs> another little sound bite. How is it a fail? How would it be a fail? So in in researching for this, I I saw sort of came up with three arguments for why. Um, which, you know, may I say is probably not the, the best foundation for a good argument. You should always Consider at least one or two other points of view, and you know, honestly, I tried, but I only found myself arguing against them and disagreeing with them. So, you know, if if any of those sort of points of view come up, it's um, it's actually me arguing against them, not arguing for them for why it's a a good idea. Um, but the first argument is that it's going to harm investment, as most taxes do. Um, with, well, almost never purposefully, but you know, as a sort of a byproduct of implementing them. Uh, The second is that it's actually going to be incredibly damaging in the long run, uh, both for businesses and for Britain um, and her security. And the final point is simply that it completely goes against all four pillars of Smith's guidance for an ideal taxation system.
1: Well, you are you're preaching to a fellow member of the uh, low tax choir, the, the Laffer Curve while simple is such a powerful idea and you know actually i was thinking about this on the train to work this morning i don't know why economics isn't part of the the kind of basic school syllabus uh, you know up until year nine or ten or whenever you stop doing the kind of prescribed lessons you know you can drop geography at the age of 14 or 15. i I think you you should you should definitely have a everyone should have an underpinning a basic
0: knowledge of economics yeah, I mean I I don't I don't know where Fiji is but I can tell you what trickle down economics <laughs> is. <laughs> um well to yeah, be absolutely. fair though I never actually I never opened an economics te- textbook until I started university. Um and it's yeah. one of the things that I really wish um I, I had the op- option to take it at A, at A level. Um mm. geez, did we I don't, I didn't do it at GCSE but I don't we must have had the option to. I um, did it
1: um I did it at A level as an option we didn't do it at GCC but I like you through my teenagehood um watched the news and watched question time news night and all the politics shows so I had a yes. basic understanding of how how things did. I mean I remember I was probably about eight or nine my mum encouraging me to read a newspaper it's very important to read newspapers and she used to read the independent um ah. which is kind of the space middle of the road um but also relatively neutral um yeah quite a good way to quite a good way to she's a very moderate woman um which mm. i greatly yes. appreciate because actually that was my kind of
0: uh introduction to the world of politics and economics but um yeah no, I did this... the... well and i was just gonna say i i did the same when i was to be fair when i was in year six actually i remember going to the shops um mm. and this is when i had literally just kind of came out which i think is sort of like the cheaper more well, more easy to read easier to read um Version of the independent, and you know, as a school kid in Year Six, um having you know whatever I had, two quid, five quid, whatever to spend. Um, at the end of the day, I would put about twenty or thirty pence of that towards uh, the newspaper, and I'd read it when I got home. I I suppose that's sort of where my journey started. It was um, it was sw- the swine flu outbreak, and that's when I started reading the news because I wanted to understand you know, swine flu or bird. The swine flu was afterwards wasn't it yeah um and that's when i started reading it because i wanted to understand what, what this was um and I how i sort of got into my journey but i ne- yeah as, as we've just said i've never actually i never actually studied economics at a gcse or sub gcse level
1: i <laughs> remember though i i used i remember used, I used to buy the financial times which was quite a lot when you're sort of 11, yeah. 11 or 12 it's about it was probably two or three, I don't know what it is now, two or three quid. Um, And it's, there was a, there was a stock in it that stuck with me and it was called Hot Tuna. And I've just looked it up as you were talking and it was, yeah, 2011, they went from being, they went, they uh, got taken private Hmm. and it stuck with me all those years, that one stock, probably because at the age of, you know, 12 or 13, I thought, what a strange name, name for a company. Yeah, I know, I would sit there looking at the stock, I mean, looking at the mm. stock prices in the newspaper is absurd because you're oh, you're looking at something know how, which is yeah. totally out of date instantly
0: mm-hmm.
1: but yeah it but was then... a novel way to get an introduction to the markets
0: yeah absolutely and then in 2016 i would after school um i'd go into the common room and i'd, I'd read a copy of the tech tele- so we always got the Newspapers ordered, so I'd read The Telegraph and then I'd read uh, The Week's Economist if um hadn't mm-hmm. already read it. Yeah, which is, yeah, I, I mean, I still read The Economist now, it's a fantastic publication. Well, um,
1: talking of economics, we used to get a f- oh, I don't know, it's free or you know, a pound an issue or something like that um uh, subscription to The Economist with mm-hmm. our economics class. So I have somewhere, I think. I know yeah. 100 copies of the economist because i had one once at one a week for two years but, but wow. back to the windfall tax how how exactly is a windfall tax a particularly bad
0: policy for investment so you know taxes are essentially state-sponsored theft um i think it was robert nozick who was more of well is um more of a social and political philosopher rather than economic uh, who first coined the adage that taxation is theft though i'm not 100% sure whether he did or not. Uh, but regardless of your point of view, that's essentially the bare bones of it. Uh, you could argue, which is only a comparison that's become relevant in the past half a decade or so, is that taxes are a subscription to safety, um, if you want to be cute about it. Uh, the You know, the windfall tax is not a subscription to safety. In fact, it's antithetical to that. And we'll discuss it in a bit more shortly. But if taxation is state-sense theft, then a windfall tax is a direct burglary, as far as I'm concerned.
1: But surely if these are surprise profits, then taxing them is going to raise a significant amount of revenue, which is um, important for businesses and for households in order to get, to offset some of those energy bills, which in and of themselves is, are stifling growth.
0: Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And this is sort of part of the, um, what would you call it? I suppose a difficulty in researching this episode, because it's a very, it's a very glaring issue and one that needs to be solved. And, you know, this is a method that you can argue would help to solve it. You know, it's, it's not like um, you you say that you've, you've got to go into your garden and I don't know dig a hole and then the issue is going to be sorted. It is actually something that could um, potentially have a positive impact. I just think that there are follow-on effects that aren't going to result in that um, positive impact or there will be a net negative impact when you sort of consider all these things um, in aggregate but ultimately it's you know the treasury are looking to raise about five billion pounds from this uh from this windfall tax uh in order to offset offset household um, energy prices i'm not sure i don't think it, it is going to businesses i think it's just households um so you know 400 pounds will be given to every household uh, yeah. paid directly to energy suppliers uh 650 pounds We'll go to those on benefits, uh, £300 to pensioners and £150 for uh, disabled individuals.
1: Sounds like it's going to cost an awful lot more than £5 billion, surely.
0: Yeah, it's going to cost £15 billion, uh, David. But um, this is on top of the £150 council tax rebate for households in bands A through D, I believe it was, that was announced in February. So, um, yeah.
1: Mm, So we get this huge levy. And um, we're still 10 billion short
0: yep um but there are further implications um you know this ultimately is going to decrease investment why would you look to invest in a company or an industry uh, if the government is hostile to it and is going to punish any form of success you know success is measured by profits at the end of the day in, in the world of business and you, you know you're not you're just not going to invest in that company or that industry uh, why are you as a business going to innovate uh put money towards r d cut costs if you if you're just going to be punished for it uh let's yeah. not forget that a lot of the innovation in the energy sector at the moment is for clean energy but in fact correct me if i'm wrong because i feel like you would know a bit more about this but surely all of the innovation is going to looking for cleaner energy sources you know bp aren't looking for quicker ways to drill oil uh you'd hope so
1: it's not the reality but there is regardless a lot of uh, a lot of effort and a lot of resources going into clean energy
0: right yeah so most most of it is for that so you know why are you going to try and prevent it it seems completely counterintuitive to me
1: i, I think we can all agree though that lower energy bills are good it means more people have got greater levels of disposable income businesses you see their profit margins higher and they are rising quite steeply
0: Hmm. yeah for sure and energy prices are incredibly high at the moment and everyone well a lot of people know this um and it's putting a strain on pretty much every household at the moment I'm sure um the majority of them anyway um however one of the most beautiful things about the free market is the price signal and I think it's actually going to incentivize bad energy usage uh, in favor of cost cutting such as you know insulation or just throwing on another jumper
1: that's a really interesting point, though, uh, about the fact that it's not actually going to change people's behaviours. We need to be insulating our homes, insulate Britain. Uh, the the most well known um, advocates for that. Uh, we need to be changing our behaviours. We need to be using less energy, uh, and that's a really interesting point. The the idea of subsidising our energy usage isn't going to incentivize that at all. Now th- there is an argument because it is protecting the poor and vulnerable during a cold period of the year, during winter that's fine but there is an awful lot of the population who are just going to carry on as normal
0: yeah and that's exactly you know what i'm saying that the price signal is this is too expensive uh let's find alternatives um and you know getting rid of that you're basically encouraging further consumption um or continued mm-hmm. consumption should i say um and i'll also add um <laughs> on the release of bp's uh quarter three earnings today uh, sorry yesterday uh first of november um I think it was first November uh Greenpeace actually referenced this need for you know better approaches such as insulation but they mentioned it as an argument in favor of the windfall tax I mean surely not
1: didn't Ed Miliband also comment on the earnings saying that it shows that the need for a tax suggesting that billions remained in the pockets of these energy companies
0: yeah and you know it's quite funny also mentioning Ed Miliband it feels like we've gone back into 2015 politics which you is know what? it
1: feels like we're in a different decade
0: oh gosh imagine yeah the good uh, old days um,
1: very <laughs> yeah. nostalgic about the 20 teens
0: yeah absolutely um but you know ed meliband in his comments was you know totally totally neglecting the fact that these companies also pay a higher about 40 uh corporation tax so in a way there's a windfall there already to an extent um mm-hmm. but the tax is only on british oil uh, it isn't taxed on oil from overseas vendors which we mentioned at the start of this um of this episode so what you're actually doing is increasing reliance on those overseas vendors and yeah, let's not forget this is why we're in this mess in the first place um yep. francesca bell uh, the investor relations manager for offshore energies uk uh, suggested that if we don't invest properly in our energy sector Um, remember the wind full tax stifles this Uh, then by 2030 80 percent of our gas and 70 percent of our oil at least will be from non-uk sources and this is a concern when it comes to our energy security Uh, the issue here is not demand it's a cost push form of inflation and what we need to do is increase supply let the market do her work um you know It's a fundamental economics 101. And this is why we have swing producers for this exact reason.
1: Yeah. And a windfall tax is not going to increase supply. It's actually going to reduce it, surely.
0: It is. So you're actually feeding the problem, not solving it. You're going to decrease supply, uh, stifle investment during a time of already rapidly rising interest rates that make the investing environment tricky enough as it is. Um, We need to innovate. We need to wean ourselves off of overseas vendors. Uh, we need to increase supply and let the market solve the costs. Uh, we are doing none of these at the moment. We risk repeating the mistakes we made during the last energy crisis through um, price controls. You know Themselves, never a good idea, and that's a whole other story. Um, but it essentially left the UK almost seeking a bailout from the IMF. Um, do you actually know the last time we defaulted on debt as a country?
1: We defaulted uh was yeah. it after the second world war
0: no nope. this is this is, a, this is a positive this is a positive oh is it going to be have we ever defaulted so it was no um <laughs> it was the 13th Good. century um you know before oh, the united nice. kingdom even existed it was the kingdom of england um i believe defaulted on its payments to italian merchants of some description i'm not i'm not sure
1: Obviously, I'm delighted that since 1707, we, we haven't managed
0: to default on anything. Yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, uh, 1707 was a was a lovely year, and I think it was two years before the birth of Adam Smith, um, if I'm not mistaken.
1: I know that Shell, in particular, are keen on innovation at the moment, and they've put 25 bill towards uh, a renewable energy product. But assume their profits are also, miss- also skyrocketing in line with BP's?
0: they are um well not in line with um shell has actually been the biggest winner from this um, as far as i'm aware and um, their profits have tripled uh, while the likes of bp and exxon uh, for example didn't see that huge of a growth uh, but still had exceptional earnings uh, this quarter um profits for shell are about seven billion pounds and it's important to realize that and we've
1: discussed this in an earlier episode that diversification is super important for investment Surely to call these businesses uh, oil and gas companies is is a bit of a stretch g- given their diversified states at the moment. They, they're energy companies. They have massive divestment into other sources. Uh, these companies are investing appropriately where needed. Um, we, we've already discussed the importance of ESG considerations in our last episode. And These companies are committing significant capex towards projects that they will realise revenue from for, for years and years to come. And yes, while there is greenwashing out there and it needs to be called out, uh, regardless there is diversification and there is investment in the areas that we need
0: it hmm. yeah they're, they're already innovating and looking for ways to divest away from dirty energy into clean um it's like taxing the sales of guinness because you don't know the taste of gordon's gin uh bp <laughs> for example uh divested their stake in state-owned russian company rosneft at a significant cost to them i think they had about I think it's like a $14, $15 billion stake, um, and it's going to, or has, cost $25 billion. Uh, so, you know, Rosneft are not appearing on the company's balance or income sheets, um, as far as I'm aware, um, though I haven't dived into them yet. But what about
1: this relates to Adam Smith's Four Pillars of Taxation? Uh, you, I believe, wrote an essay on this, didn't you?
0: I did. Uh, it was also my only essay I wrote that had a word limit of 2,500 rather than 2,000 words for my undergraduate. Uh, spent a lot of time in the, in the IEA's library, uh, going through documents to write it, and, of course, the Wealth of Nations. Uh, the four pillars, in no particular order, um, are convenience, efficiency, certainty, and fairness. And the windfall tax defies all of these. It, it, it doesn't
1: help that our taxation system is already pretty difficult enough to navigate, is it? It's, it, it's super complex. It really does need an overhaul, does not it?
0: Yes, we need to take a page from hong kong's tax book i suppose because uh that's um i believe that's it's either the shortest or the just the easiest to to navigate in the world um mm. so fingers crossed for that but i don't see it happening at any time soon um but in terms of convenience um you know i've, I've already mentioned that these companies pay a higher corporation tax as a form of windfall anyway um efficiency wise so much time is going to be spent by um, hmrc uh, his majesty's revenue and customs now um officials to finalize the policy it's it's not going to be easy um and then there's the issue of certainty which this tax also defies because you know it's a pretty brash legis- legislation um it's it's not at all um you know certain because how do you know when you invest in a project that you know 2 5 years ago um in the future you're not going to be slapped with another uh tax or another form of of regulation um and you know this tax itself is supposed to last two or three years or quote unquote whenever prices return to normal and we both know that it's easy to implement a tax or regulation but it's very hard to remove it uh sticky regulation essentially but I say this uh David the the normal price level is whatever the market determines uh, there is no other normal price level not even 001 percent above or below the market uh and you know don't get me started on fairness
1: no you're entirely right it, the price is what it is i think people are just might just think normal is is the price at which it suited them J-
0: just how super normal are these profits very um but let's not forget that back in march 2020 uh, when the price of oil fell to around 20 dollars a barrel i think it was about 23 um you know it's the, it's the business cycle uh sometimes there are exogenous events that influence that and the market and hence the market price uh jumps around a bit and is slightly uncertain. uh you can't stop the business cycle uh, regardless of what gordon brown said. instead it really is a throwback this episode. Um, really is yes, is isn't it? yeah um anyway our first prime minister um no uh, instead we're <laughs> providing a solution that allows us to you know brush the root problem under the rug and you know say you've solved the dilemma you're not. You're not hurting Russia. You're not hurting Putin. You're hurting Britain, uh, her companies and denizens, and her future long-term prospects. You're already seeing that with companies such as EnQuest, who have committed to moving investment. Uh, by the way, they put in about four billion pounds over the past decade or so, including into the Kraken field, um, and they're looking to move to um, invest in Malaysia offshore rigs. Uh, we're already losing investment, and you know, I think I read something the other day that france is getting more investment than us uh for the second year running i believe the figure it was um figure was but um as long as i don't beat us it, in the world cup
1: given the uh huge amount of investment they apparently are guessing maybe you should bone up on your french daniel
0: uh I, yeah i could but um chelsea are currently winning the the champions league match so i'll i'll i'll, I'll stick with chelsea before i before i jump ship
1: well another fairly economics weighted episode but actually they're the ones I think I really enjoy um I learned an awful lot from you Daniel as I'm sure the rest of our listeners do so really pertinent topic we want to hear your thoughts on on windfall taxes um and and on the taxation system in general and actually how that can aid or stymie investment in uh in, in in combating this climate emergency whether you think actually it should be left to the government with that taxation revenue to uh to invest or whether you believe it should be left to the the private sector and the free market i think you know exactly where daniel and i stand but we want to hear your thoughts out there so do like share subscribe dm us send in your questions really appreciate all of you and your continued support so from me it's goodbye
0: And from me, it's also goodbye.